0: Welcome to Thriving. I'm your host, Wayne Visser, and joining me this week is Virginie Helias, who's Chief Sustainability Officer for Procter & Gamble. Join me now. Virginie, and welcome to The Thriving Podcast. Hi, Wayne. great to be with you. Well, let's kick off with um, maybe what does thriving mean to a company like P&G? And is it an agenda that you feel is gaining some traction? Do you see it as different or the same as sustainability? Let's just get some initial thoughts from you.
1: Yeah, sure. So maybe I would start, you know, at a macro level. This is really about um, helping restore the conditions so that the nine billion people um, can thrive on a planet. Well, those living conditions we are seeing today are threatened. You know, I think it's 40 degrees in London. Uh, The southwest of France is uh, literally burning with uh, thousands of hectares of forest, you know, being destroyed access to fresh water uh, to support the ecosystem and, and the people uh, is also becoming increasingly difficult. And I say that, you know, looking at my backyard that is drying up, you know, I think I need to move to water efficient landscaping. And I don't live in California, I live in Switzerland. So um, what does that mean for us at PNG? and um, Well, it means really going beyond uh, doing no harm It it means beyond going beyond reduction of our own footprint and it's true for energy water waste sourcing and it's actually meaning having a positive impact on people and planet and and we can do that through two main things innovation and collaboration so it's really innovation that um For us, enables people who are using our products to reduce their own footprint, you know, especially as they use heated water, uh, as they shave, wash their hair, their clothes, you know, clean their floors or do their dishes. Um, and, and also innovation that can benefit the industry more broadly. So we can allow the system to transform. And, and we are doing this, for instance, by, um, Inventing technology that purifies, recycles polypropylene, you know, it removes all the odour, all the colour, all the contaminants, so that it can be used over and over. And we have licensed out this technology, which is really the the difference versus just looking at reducing our own footprint, because we are licensing out so that others can use it as well, you know, Um, or, or it can be partnering across the plastic value chain to reinvent how plastic is, is sorted, you know, using digital watermark that are embedded in the, in the plastic so that it's invisible to the human eye, but it can be detected at recyclers so that you can sort accurately and you increase the level of a good quality recycled material. And that's accelerate the circular economy. Yeah. Um, so all these are examples where you get together and you can transform the system, not just our footprint within it. Um, but I think I'd like also to mention because thriving has so many components and there is also a people employee component. You know, I think there was a very interesting study done by Accenture and the, the World Economic Forum, and they said that two thirds of employees think that their company should be responsible for leaving them net better off. Um, and we certainly believe that at PNG, you know, and, and we actually call it, um, Ensuring all employees have a positive value equation. And when you make sustainability a a business priority, it's certainly one way to attract and retain talent. I mean, that's thriving. And we know that the Gen Z uh, really is seeking jobs with meaning, that they they want congruence between their values and their company values. So it's another aspect of thriving.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you framed it as an innovation and partnership agenda, because that's also what I was really trying to do with the book is to say, look, yes, there are breakdowns. We need to take them extremely seriously. It's not enough even to aim for sustainability. We need something that positive. But the only way you get there is firstly through innovation, because we need the solutions, but then secondly, partnership, because we need to scale them. Um, if I were to play devil's advocate briefly, um, your industry, I think, has been, uh, in the spotlight, I suppose, for consumerism. Yeah. So, and this is at the heart of the challenge, isn't it? You're producing goods and services that people want. And we could even say many of which people need. And yet the, the challenge on a, on a limited planet is that if we consume more materials, more stuff, it simply doesn't add up. So, I mean, I guess that's what's driving the innovation. But so far, if we look historically, there's been a huge gap between the increase in consumption and as a result impact and the efforts of companies to reduce their environmental impact.
1: Yeah. So I could argue that what we are really offering is um, a service, or we call it a job to be done, Uh, take for instance uh, clothes washing so we are offering you know the service of getting your clothes clean Mm. and the way we do that so we have a product but we design it in a way um, that delight people and at the same time is sustainable so let's just me unpack this example of laundry because I think it's a very good one Um, it's actually fairly easy to develop uh, a laundry detergent that has a very very small impact uh but doesn't clean you know basically you take water and you have a very low carbon footprint but your clothes will not be clean what we found is because for all our products we uh, run what we called life cycle assessment so they really look at the footprint from raw material all the way down to disposal including the use phase and what we found is that 60 percent of the carbon footprint of the detergent is related to the temperature of the wash uh, cycle, you know. And so uh, really, really the greenest detergent would be a detergent that allows you to wash your clothes in cold water. The problem is people don't want to do that because they are afraid that the stains will not come out. So this is why uh, for decades now, we have innovated to uh, develop technology that performs better in cold water. And actually, just to give you an idea of the impact, doing so since 2015, we've avoided 15 million metric ton of CO2. And our goal is 30 million ton by 2030. And this is 10 times more than all the emissions that our plants worldwide emit every year. So it's very, very significant. Uh, But for that, you need to partner with your suppliers. And we are doing so to develop uh, enzyme and technology that works better in cold water. So yeah. and it's another another sustainability benefit is that it allows your uh, clothes to be um newer longer so you don't have to buy so many clothes that goes to landfill uh, eventually and so it's an added benefit but yeah. it's really about the innovation so that people can continue washing their clothes in cold water which has the minimum impact on the environment
0: yeah i'd like to pick up another element of that e- example because i know that this has been a challenge for the industry not only you but uh, you know other your competitors have agreed that this is absolutely fundamental to get people to wash in colder temperatures but it's like so many things on sustainability it seems like the challenge is educating and persuading customers to behave differently and that seems to be the hardest one because you can have the solution but if people still use that product and wash at 60 degrees because they aren't quite convinced that your product can, uh, can perform at that low temperature, then you haven't won the battle. So maybe you, could, you don't have to uh, take this particular example further, further if you don't want to, but can you just talk about that challenge? How do we change behavior of customers? It seems really hard.
1: And it is very hard. The good news is that the way you do it, is through creativity, you know, and this is one of our superpowers. Actually, I'm just back from Cannes, you know, the, the advertising communication festival. And, um, and we won uh, one of the Grand Prix on sustainability with our Tide cold water campaign, you know. So we know how to do that. We've been doing that and we are doing that on other brands. I mean, nudging people, making it, we call it making sustainability irresistible. You know, it is so engaging, so attractive that people want to do it. Let me give you another example from the U.S. Uh, Cascade is the brand uh, for auto dish, uh, auto dish detergent. Um, there is something interesting in the U.S. is that almost everyone owns a dishwasher, but the usage is rather low. And this is because people believe that um, they would waste energy and water if they run it all the time. And um, the facts say completely otherwise, because what usually happens when you have dirty dishes, you don't put them directly in the dishwasher. Most people pre-rinse them under the sink. And two minutes of a running faucet uses, so in the US, four gallons of water every two minutes, you know, and four gallons of water is basically the water used in a full dishwasher. It's a full load of dishwashing. So as of eight items, you actually are better off using your dishwasher. But for this, again, that's innovation. You need a detergent that allows you to get the job right the first time. So you don't have to uh, pre-wash, you don't have to re-wash. And this is why Cascade has been formulated for that. you know. And so that's the innovation part. Now, what is the uh, engagement of consumers part? Well, it's the campaign that the brand has developed that's called uh, Do It Every Night. And it's a tongue-in-cheek type of thing, doing it every night. It doesn't mean doing what you think it is. It means running your dishwasher every night, you know. Yeah. And uh, and we are using celebrities to do that, uh, a very famous and glamorous couple. And the whole thing is is really engaging. And what we are seeing, because we know that habit change is hard, but in 18 months, we've seen after the, the beginning of the campaign, we've seen uh, uh, an increase of 25% of uh, using the dishwasher. Mm. And 25% will mean 25 million liters of uh, water, you know, saved across the US when people use their, their dishwasher without pre-rinsing. So, you know, that's an example of uh, innovation and communication working together to actually have a significant impact on the footprint.
0: Yeah. And when you talk about uh, nudging people, we've dealt with one area that I think is absolutely essential, which is that a better product, a more sustainable, even a thriving product can't compromise on quality. If it doesn't perform as well, you've lost the battle. And I think that's a, a hard lesson we've learned over the last few decades in sustainability. But there is another aspect, uh, well, maybe you've touched on it a bit, which is convenience. So if, if uh, using a more sustainable product is more inconvenient, again, you've lost the battle. And then there's a third component, I think, which is price. And I wonder if you're managing to provide these better solutions and not requiring a premium from customers, because otherwise I fear... It will never scale. It will always be a niche of ethical consumers.
1: I completely agree with all these points. And we don't want to price for a sustainability or even a convenience benefit. We price for performance. And so um, the smart thing to do is that when you want to um, uh, improve on sustainability, you do it behind a better cleaning, or a better performance benefits. So, um, you know, the cascade, the Ariel or Tide examples are all examples where we increase the performance, so we increase the end benefit. And actually, the more you increase the performance, the more you increase the sustainability benefit because people actually use less resources, water, energy, when they use your product. And it's generally true, you know, because of the the powerful uh, chemistry performance that we have, you need less water and energy when you use the product. And just remember that for PNG, 85% of our carbon footprint is the water, the heated water that people use when they use our product. So this is really the area where we need to focus. But I agree yeah. with all the point. I mean, on on, on convenience and performance. Actually, on, on laundry and other examples, we um, years ago we launched the unitized doors. I mean, we call them pods pods uh, are the most sustainable form that we have because there is no water packaging is very compact um and uh, and they are ultra convenient you don't need to dose you know you just throw up a, a pod in in the wash uh and they are premium priced but not because of all of this because they perform better It is our most performing form of detergent. It is our most sustainable form of detergent. And actually, when we innovate and when we want to make progress on sustainability, we start with that. So we offer the best of the best to people, and we want them to switch to parts. I mean, there is also an interest of saying, look, I mean, there is the powder of the uh, old time, but uh, you are better off from a performance and sustainability and convenience standpoint if you use parts. Yeah. And, and you know, you talked about pricing, and people say, "Oh, your products are too expensive." But you know, if you have to rewash, if you have to increase the temperature of your wash to get the results you want, you will actually pay much more. Actually, what we've calculated, I think it's quite fascinating, and it will get better and better. Unfortunately, as the uh, prices of of electricity are rising. Um, But if you use Tide in the US, you can save up to $150 a year on your electricity bill. This is more than the cost of the product. So you can say, you know, you get Tide for free if you use it in cold water, which is a a pretty uh, powerful claim.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's all part of the education. And what we struggle on so many sustainable products is the benefit is over time, whereas the upfront price is maybe uh, where people judge it. At the extreme, you can look at a car as an example, a much bigger, uh, you know, upfront or a or a house, and people look at the purchase price instead of the long term yeah. performance.
1: But, but but you know Wayne, there are also examples where we are still finding our way i mean i'm i'm talking about our success stories but for instance there is one space that is uh, there is a big consumer demand and we really haven't cracked this equation of having the the gain you know uh, bigger than the pain really to drive adoption and that's the space of reuse you know, single use packaging uh, is problematic because we can't recycle all of it and, and we need to find other solution. Uh, with a lower footprint, one of them is to be able to reuse the packaging. But then you are asking people for an extra effort. You know, it's an extra step, you know, not only they have to refill or they have to return, uh, even if they get incentivized, you know, it's it's complicated. And so the question here is what the added benefit, you know, that w- you will offer so that people are actually, uh, they find it irresistible. You know, they do it even if they are not versed into sustainability. You know, one one of the, the those uh, additional benefit is to have a beautiful, durable bottle. Like we we've launched it on our shampoos, you know, and and we have aluminium bottles that are really beautiful, but still, you know, people have to uh, do the extra step, and it's it's not it's not obvious. So we're still yeah. learning our way on those on those new uh, consumer benefits that that have great uh, sustainability benefits. Yeah, to I,
0: it's still a massive challenge, isn't it? And I and I do sometimes wonder uh, when I go and look at the shelves, uh, all the mainstream brands, including your own, I see very little option for soap bars, for example, shampoo bars, shaving bars, and yet we know from a sustainability point of view this is the the most elegant solution. You you're not shipping water around, you don't have added plastic in a container, and yet it doesn't seem to have really been promoted by the industry yet.
1: Okay. Well, Wayne, <laughs> I have good news for you. I encourage you to go uh, shopping, uh, this week and you will find our brand new, and this is very new, a few weeks, uh, shampoo bars. We've launched actually shampoo bars across all our, uh, brands. You'll find it on Pontine, on Head and Shoulders, on Herbal, uh, and, uh, and they look beautiful. They are fun. They are in shape that is attractive, you know, to, to encourage people, uh, for adoption, um, we are trying. I mean, we again we need to make sure that this equation of of uh, um, gain over pain is is positive and that it will drive adoption. But but I think what what it says is that there is no silver bullet. I mean, we, we are mm. not going to find one solution that will do both the performance and the delight and the sustainability benefits and the right price. I mean, you really need to uh, to experiment on, on on several dimensions.
0: Yeah. I would love to get your perspective on plastic in general, plastic packaging especially, and where you think that's going. Because there's one approach which is typically an industry approach, especially the chemicals industry, that basically says it's the customer's problem. They're the ones who are allowing this packaging to leak out into the environment, Uh, and when there are surveys of all the packaging waste that we see out there in oceans and elsewhere, all the big brands come up, including your own. So it is a problem. Now, the one approach is to say, well, we'll just get better and make that system less leaky so that everybody will recycle packaging and that all packaging will be recyclable, which in itself is a challenge. That's one approach. The other approach is to say, okay, can we find different materials where if they do and assuming that they will get out into the environment that's not as much of a problem because they're benign they can biodegrade or compost there they're not causing those uh, problems so I just wonder where how you see it evolving going forward especially around the issues of alternative materials and of uh, compostable packaging
1: sure so yes this is a massive issue and when we launch our ambition 2013 2018 one of our goals is and commitment is that png will develop solutions so that no packaging finds its way to the ocean which is kind of the ultimate where it goes and then into the food chain and and bad for people's health and so major consequences um, the answer is not one answer and and all the things that you mention, we have to work on Starting with uh, making the recycling system much more efficient and cost effective. You're right. Today, even the most recycled uh, uh, resin plastic, PET, in the most recycled region, Europe, is only recycled at thirty percent. You know, um, and uh, and so. You know, even if we—no, I guess it's 50 percent. It's 30 percent in the U.S. But even if we double that in the U.S. 30 percent, which, as you say, is a major challenge, we'll get to 60 percent. We we can't just rely on that. And it's the most recycled plastic, you know, PET. So. We need to find ways to make it uh more effective and and this concerns everyone yes uh consumers need to sort more i mean that that's one but we need to make access to the recycling system uh uh, much more uh, effective as well um it is good in europe it's much less in 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 the us this is why for instance we partner with an organization like the closed loop funds Uh, We basically give low interest loan to municipalities so that they can invest in recycling. We do that in Southeast Asia with the Alliance to End Plastic Waste. Uh, And and we need also to invent, I mean, the technology that I mentioned, which is called Holy Grail, the digital watermark, I think is a wonderful way to uh, make the recycling system much more cost effective. Because if if the sorting is better done, then you have uh, higher quality streams of recycled material. And then you can uh, reintegrate the recycled material into your own packaging and accelerate the development of the circular economy. So clearly recycling, um, we need to work on it, but it's not the only solution. We are encouraging our brands to look at alternative material. As a matter of fact, uh, Ariel just uh, changed their, um, uh, plastic, uh, tub for, for their pods to, uh, paper, uh, uh, box, which you can say, okay, that's an easy one. Well, it was four years of development and 20 patents to get there. Because cardboard, I mean, you need to make it, uh, you know, uh, moisture-proof. You need to make it child-proof, which is another key challenge with, with cardboard. Uh, and you need to make it affordable. And it needs to be better from an environmental standpoint, which is not a given. Because we need to remember that plastic is one of the most efficient, lightest material, which has a great sustainability profile. The problem is that when it gets into nature, right? But so uh, when we consider alternative to plastic and we do that, paper, glass, we always make decisions based on life cycle assessment to make sure it's better for from an environmental standpoint. And then the third one, I already touched on it, is new business model. It's reuse. You know, we were the first brand to sign up to the loop um system which is like the modern milkman that uh, uh is about durable refillable uh, packaging uh, still learning on this you know it's not uh it's not just ready to scale like this because as we said i mean it has so major component component of um a habit change and also creating a circular supply chain which when you are like us png where we have optimized over decades our linear supply chain. Obviously, it is major uh, financial and sometimes environmental challenge because you have added transportation in the return leg of reuse. So many, many uh, different challenges, but I think we need to look at all of them. And again, I think the key here is both innovation and collaboration. All the things I mentioned have those two components all the time.
0: Yeah. Uh, In the last uh, segment now, I I know we've talked a lot about mainly one transition, which is, is how we go from depletion of resources to renewal through the circular economy. Do you have any examples of what you're doing on restoring ecosystems and also on the social elements? I mean, you have farmers in your supply chain, for example. Uh, what's getting you excited about those areas?
1: Yeah. Well, what we recently announced on our water commitment is actually getting me very excited because... um it is really about uh, having a regenerative uh, impact, and not just on the land, but on the people, and it's also an accelerator for innovation for our brands. Uh, and it's and those are great example of collaboration. So it's kind of ticking all the box that we just talked. And so what did we announce? We um, uh, we announced that we are committed to build a water positive future, and 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 our plans cover a broad range of solutions. This is about conserving uh, recycling water in our manufacturing sites all the way to enabling people to use less water um, uh, or no water you know when uh, when they go through their household chores or their beauty routines and um, it all started because lo- uh, water is a very local issue right and so it all started with our partnership with WRI and uh, WWF where we partnered to identify 18 water stress areas across seven countries. And the way we identify them is that obviously they need to be high chronic water stress areas, but also be uh, consumer markets that are important for us and where we have a manufacturing presence. And so the specific goals that we have committed to are, number one, to restore more water than is consumed uh, at our P&G manufacturing sites that are located in those 18 water stressed areas and number 2 to restore and that's really industry leading because you know we are touching now the consumer use phase of our product so it's to reuse more water than is consumed when using PNG products in the high water stress uh, areas of Los Angeles and Mexico City we started with those two because they actually represent 50% of the water that is consumed in the use phase of our products you know big big markets um, so now the next question is, how do we restore more water than is consumed? Well, this is where the collaboration element comes into play because we do it by partnering with the on-the-ground partners. You know, who have a, a very deep knowledge of the unique local challenges. Uh, because, as I said, uh, the water challenges are, are are very local, so there there is no one-size-fits-all solution. So, depending on the on the challenges, our project will. Either help improve, manage, protect the water, and and for instance, it can be about uh, managing the wetlands or restoring the land. It can be also about more specifically replenishing the aquifers, uh, but also improving the irrigation systems. And uh, and then for the for the water that is uh, lost in consumer homes, we're also working at the uh, at the root cause, uh, uh, trying to identify the the household leaks. You know, we're using some sensors because leaks in the households is one of the major cause of, uh, water being, being consumed, you know. So we've already, uh, uh, invested in eight restoration projects like this, uh, in 2020. So that was in, uh, the Sacramento River basins in uh, California. Also in the Colorado, uh, river, um, Indian tribes conservation C- project in Arizona. Uh, And we are now adding six new projects in the states of uh, Utah and IDEO. Uh, So our our main partner is the um, Bonneville Environmental Foundation. And they guide us through, you know, what is the best restoration project for these local challenges? And Mm -hmm. so what I really like about this is that uh, it's... um, the, the goals are uh, in line with the new emerging science of uh, science based target for nature uh this is really this concept of you know restoration more water restoring more water than is consumed uh and uh, and they cannot be done uh, unless you really partner with people on the ground, yeah. and what I also like is that your your people element. Obviously, we work with the community. Actually, we have uh, filmed some of those projects, uh, and we have beautiful video of the the indigenous people, the local on the ground, the people on the ground explaining how. I mean, obviously, water is vital for their for their activities, human and work activities, and how those projects means everything for them. And, and it's it's really, really moving. So there is a, a real impact on the people that are that depend on those ecosystems and, and, and the water.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a great example and, and a fantastic project. Uh, congratulations. Uh, we are about out of time, so I'm just going to ask you a, a yes or no question because I assume from everything you've said, especially about water, that you're getting behind regenerative agriculture. Is that true?
1: The answer is yes, although I just want to say for the people listening to us that we are not in the food business, where obviously yes. when you are in food business, agriculture is a big part of your uh, supply chain, but we do use palm oil and pulp, and for this, we have very specific regenerative projects. Those are agricultural communities, and we work with innovation and collaboration to make sure that they are regenerative for the land and for the people who depend on it.
0: Yeah. Well thanks so much for taking the time today and sharing with us many examples and I think very insightful examples it's good to know that you're uh, you're aiming for net positive or thriving as i would call it thanks so much uh, for for being with us today
1: thanks for having me wen was a pleasure <music>
0: to end today with a poem of mine called A Place to Thrive and the reason is because I think that this conversation that we've just had is challenging us to think about the footprint that we leave in this world and a lot of that has to do with the choices we make about the products that we consume uh, which ones we support especially when there are sustainable options on offer and the behaviours that we have. So, see what you think. As always, there are more questions than answers. Is the world a better place because we lived and loved and learned? What will our children have to face because of what we built and burned? Are people better than before because we gave them dignity? What happened to the sick and poor while we were living strong and free? Is the world a fairer place because we fought for equal rights? Who lost for us to win our race? Or did we open up new heights? Is nature thriving, great and small, because we walked upon the earth? Did oceans rise and species fall with every breath we took since birth? Is the world a dying place because our enterprises grew? Did we destroy our living space or did we seed the world anew? Each day we get to use our voice to raise the tide or let it ebb. Each day we face a simple choice to nurture life or fray its web. Let's let the world be better still for every moment we're alive because we choose to use our will to make our earth a place to thrive. once again for joining me and join me again next week when my special guest will be Anthony Yousefian. He is the founding partner of ReFi Ventures, which backs early stage investments into tech companies that can accelerate investment into natural capital and regeneration. Look forward to you joining me then. Meanwhile, have a thriving week.